0: Thank you. Great job. Great thought. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Psalm 145. Jesus Christ is alive. We didn't come this morning for a funeral. We're excited to be here. Our Savior's alive. Psalm 145. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We will be on page 484. Psalm 145. appreciate Brother Joe filling in for me last week while I was away fishing in the the Upper Peninsula. Uh, A lot of people have asked me how many fish you caught. i just say I caught a lot of fish, but I did not bring any home and I have no pictorial evidence. (laughs) We did have a good time and uh, appreciate uh, the quality of men that God has raised up around here to to fill in and uh, brother Joe, brother Josh, brother Stephen, they just do such a great job there. Godly men, hardworking men, and I thank the Lord for them. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, Paul told the Corinthian believers to flee from idolatry. What that simply means is that if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as Savior, you have been commanded to flee from idolatry. That means there should not be anything or anyone in your life that you are more devoted to reverence or worship more than God, our Creator, the God of the Bible. Uh, Two weeks ago, uh, as we're working through a 21-message series on Learn of Him to Flee from Idolatry, we talked about the fact that our Creator is merciful. God is merciful. To be merciful, uh, biblically speaking, is more than being kind and compassionate and nice. To be biblically merciful means that we do not give someone the negative justice they deserve. Uh, We rejoice that uh, over 40 times the Bible describes our God and Savior by saying his mercy endureth forever. We rejoice that God made his mercy available to us in Christ so that guilty sinners can humble themselves and repent and turn to the Lord Jesus to be saved. We rejoice that God's mercy isn't just for guilty sinners needing salvation, it is also for believers in Christ and that as believers regardless of how sincere we are or how well-charactered we are, that we will need God's mercy all of our days. And we concluded two weeks ago talking out about how believers in Jesus need to seek to be more merciful, that we might be more like our Savior. We live in a world that's angry. We live in a world that's divided. And followers of Jesus need to be more merciful to keep the temperature of their rhetoric down. Far too many believers return spite and anger for spite and anger instead of returning kindness and graciousness for spite and anger. Paul wrote the Corinthian believers in chapter 8, Though there be many that are called gods, there is but one God. And though there is only one God, the world into which you and I have been sent today is a world where there are many that are called gods. It's a big deal today, just like it has always been to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and that Jehovah, the God of the Bible, is the only true God. The world doesn't appreciate that message today. It never has and never will. But despite all the confusion and multiplicity of gods in our world, our Creator has always had faithful witnesses. I want to be among them. Uh, listen... Most of the world and most of history is filled with people who did not want to investigate who the God of the Bible is and that they were content with the God they were presented by their family and the God presented to them by their culture, whereas I want to know the God of the Bible, how he has revealed himself to man. The complexity of creation bears witness to a creator. But if we want to know what that creator is like, we must look in the bible unfortunately so many people instead of looking into the bible to find out who our creator has revealed himself to be they create a jesus of their own liking and i hope by this point you've come to recognize that that's idolatry jesus is not who we say he is jesus is who he is and so because so many people have beings a claim to be God and because of man's natural tendency to make a God in his own image, I want us to spend a few months together of Sunday mornings so we can see who God revealed himself to be, so we can learn of him, so we can flee from idolatry. Now all of us have seen a piano keyboard at one time or another. The keyboard has white keys, which are called naturals, and black keys, which modify them. The black keys can modify a natural tone to be a sharp up or a flat down. Though it might be a shock to many who have listened to someone trying to learn how to play the piano, there are actually no wrong notes on the piano. There are people that play good notes in the wrong order or good notes at the wrong time. (laughs) But in contrast to a piano keyboard where there are no wrong notes, our Creator has defined some things as being right and other things as being wrong. And though people are and always will be free to do and choose what they want to do, our Creator defines doing what He defined as right, as being righteous. If you're able to stand this morning, if you would stand please and honor the Word of God. The title of my thought this morning is God is Righteous. God is is righteous. Psalm 145, we begin this morning together in verse 17, says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. By the way, remember in your Bible, when all those letters of Lord are capitalized, that is the personal name of God, uh, Jehovah, Uh, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Thank you. You might be seated. The best known attribute of God in America today is the fact that God is love. We have talked about that. One of the least talked about attributes of God in churches is the fact that God is just. We've talked about that. One of the most talked about attributes of God in churches is the fact that God is merciful. We've talked about that. The most emphasized attribute of God in the scripture is the fact that God is holy. We've talked about that. And a close relative of God being holy is the fact that God is righteous. In fact, we just read in verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. In every situation, with every individual person, God does what is right. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. The Lord not only always does what is right because he is righteous, uh, he also is holy in all of his works. There's no spot or taint of sin in anything that God does. He's holy in all of his works because God is holy, just like he is righteous in all of his ways because God is righteous. And though it's not our thought for today, I'm glad God is near everyone who calls upon him in truth. In verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto all of them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. It's also not our thought for today, but I'm glad God hears the cry of those who fear him and delivers them from their trials. In verse 19, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. I hope you understand this morning that when God delivers his people from their trials, sometimes he delivers them in heaven. It's not our thought for today, but I'm glad God preserves those who love him and that the wicked are not just getting away with their defiance of our Creator. In verse 20, the Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. No, it is also not our thought for today. uh, Purposely praising God should be a part of every believer's life as well as a part of what goes on in his churches. In verse 21, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. You know, in order to bless God's holy name and praise God like we ought to praise Him, we must know Him. In fact, the better we know God, the more that our praise means both to God and to us. I mean, think about it. Would you rather be praised by someone who didn't know you well or someone who knows you well? I mean, it's very easy to, quote, praise the Lord, but know very little about Him. But God prefers praise from those who know Him best, because it means the most. Now because God wants people to know Him, and because our praise for God means more, when we really understand who the God is that we're praising, the wise man said in Proverbs 27:21, "As the finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man." to his praise. And just like heat purifies silver and purifies gold, the vessel from whom the praise comes is improves the praise when we know the God we're praising. And so we're studying what God is really like. I want our praise to mean more to him as well as meaning more to us. Now sadly because of the silence of spiritual leaders Today, far too few American Christians even know that our creator is righteous. Fewer still could define what it means to be righteous versus being holy. In fact, that's a great question. If I handed out a sheet of paper and a pen to everyone here and said write down the definition of holy and write down the definition of righteous, what is the difference in being holy and being righteous? Uh, Unfortunately, I think, Far too few people in American Christianity could even answer those questions. Remember, to be holy, that is the absence of any taint or sin of any sort, to be completely set apart to God. And to be righteous is to actively do that which is right. Our Creator always does that which is right and that which is holy because He is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. But understand this, Psalm 145, 17 is not an isolated, nor is it a rare statement about our creator being a righteous God. Turn back a few pages to Psalm 129. Psalm 129. Notice what it says in Psalm 129 in verse four. It says, the Lord is righteous. He hath cut asunder the cords of the wicked. The Lord is righteous. Turn back a few more pages to Psalm 11. Psalm 11. In Psalm 11 in verse 7, it says, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Notice not only is God righteous, notice what he loves. He loves righteousness. Because God is righteous, he loves righteousness righteousness. By the way, log that in your mind. That's going to come back in to play uh, in in a few moments. Turn back one more time to Psalm 7. Notice in Psalm 7 in verse 9, it says, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and the reins. That means God knows your heart and God knows your motives. That's what your reins are. It's why you do what you do. The righteous God is going to be the judge of not only what we do, but what's in our heart and why we do what we do. You see, to be righteous is to perfectly and completely do what our Creator defines as being right, and God is a righteous God. And the better we know God, the better and more heartfelt our praise for Him can be, be both to Him and to us. By the way, understand this, the highest form of praise is not what we say or sing when we assemble together. We ought to have praise for God when we assemble together. The highest form of praise is who or what we imitate. In every single case, you and I imitate the people and the qualities in those people that we admire most. And the highest form of praise for God is to see a quality in him and admire that quality so much that we said, you know what? God is holy, I want to be holy. God is love, I want to love. God is just, I want to be just. God is merciful, I want to be merciful. God is righteous, I want to be righteous. And that's the highest form of praise. Because holiness is the absence of any taint or sin, and to be completely set apart to God, there are things in the Bible that are holy. There is holy oil, there is a holy place. There is holy furniture. But because righteousness is the active doing of right, there are no things that are righteous. Only people can be righteous. Uh, There is no righteous oil. There is no righteous place. There is no righteous furniture. Righteousness is something that only people can be rather than things. And God is both holy and righteous. Because God is righteous, Paul describes his judgment in Romans 2, 5 as being righteous judgment. Because God is righteous, everything he does and everything he always will do will always be right, even if you and I don't see it at the moment. This morning, I hope that you will not only know that God, our creator, is righteous, but I also hope that you will embrace the fact that God is a righteous righteous God. Many consider Charles Haddon Spurgeon to be the greatest preacher of the 18th, 19th century. Uh, his sermons are, uh, and his books are still widely read today. His biography is in our bookstore. A couple of books uh, that he's written, like lectures to my student students, so it's in our bookstore as well. Uh, a very, very famous, uh, renowned preacher in, in history. Uh, At one time, P.T. Barnum, who was famous for starting the Barnum and Bailey Circus, he invited Charles Haddon Spurgeon to leave London and to come to America to speak in his tent. Uh, P.T. Barnum, he made every concession possible to try to get Charles Haddon Spurgeon to come and speak in his tent. He offered to provide singers and musicians that Spurgeon wanted or he could bring his own. He offered to provide any equipment or manpower Spurgeon desired. He offered to allow Spurgeon to speak as long or as short as he wanted. And by the way, that's a dangerous thing with a Baptist preacher. The only concession, the only thing that P.T. Barnum asked was he that P.T. Barnum would get all the gate take and that they would pay Charles Haddon Spurgeon $1,000 for each message. By the way, if you put that into today's terms, uh, that's $36,400 a message. Uh, Most of American Christianity today would say, wow, what a wonderful opportunity to reach people and support my family. Charles Spurgeon wrote a letter back to Mr. Barnum, and it said this. Dear Mr. Barnum, thank you for your kind invitation to lecture in your circus tents in America, you will find my Acts answer in Acts 13.10. Very sincerely yours, Charles H. Spurgeon. Here's what Acts 13.10 says. O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? By the way, if you get the idea that biblical Christians from previous generations Understood the real dangers and warnings in the Bible about this world, and you understand that they valued righteousness much more highly than righteousness is valued today, then you begin to understand what our forefathers and foremothers were like. And they were like that because God is righteous. God was righteous then, God is righteous now, God will be righteous until eternity future because God is righteous. And what I'd like to do this morning uh, is just take a few moments and make some observations and applications of the fact that God is righteous. Please first go in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. God is righteous. The Lord is righteous. The righteous Lord loveth righteousness. Father, Hebrews chapter one is uh, a contrast between angels and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the theme of the first chapter of Hebrews, the superiority of Jesus Christ to angels. Here's number one this morning: Jesus is righteous and he loves righteousness just like his father does. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 7, And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, as ministers of flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now the human pen here is quoting Psalm 45, and he is making this contrast between angels, which are ministering spirits, and God the Son, Jesus Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh. That's why in verse eight, he says, I throw no God as forever and ever. And notice the righteousness of the Son of God. He is a scepter of righteousness for his kingdom. And notice in verse nine, he loves righteousness. And he hates iniquity. Now, if you're kind of a novice to the real Jesus, it might strike you as being a little bit unusual to the fact that Jesus has some things he hates. Uh, He loves righteousness and he hates iniquity. He hates sin. He doesn't have any people he hates, but there are some things that he hates. He hates sin, (laughs) he loves righteousness. That's why the Apostle John described Jesus as our advocate in saying Jesus Christ, the righteous, 1 John 2.1. That's why when John described Christ returning at the end of the seven-year tribulation in power and glory, he said that he will judge and make war, quote, in righteousness, Revelation 19.10. That's why Paul in 2 Timothy 4.8 says that Jesus is the, quote, righteous judge see, because God is righteous and Jesus is God the Son, it is no surprise, or it should be no surprise, to learn that Jesus Christ is righteous and that he loves righteousness. And he hates sin. <laughs> by the way, sin, by definition, is breaking one of the commandments of God. And God didn't put those commandments in there to ruin our fun or uh, take away something in life that was good for us. God, our Father, who loves us, made some rules because he understood that when we break these things, it hurts us and separates us from him. And Jesus hates sin because it destroys people he loves and because he's righteous. Hear me when I say, because Jesus is righteous, because our Creator is a righteous God, no one has ever been mistreated by God. No one has ever been mistreated by the Lord Jesus. I've met a lot of people over the years who felt like God was mistreating them. I've had a lot of instances in my life when I did not understand what was going on, and in my heart, though I was smart enough not to say it, I felt like, you know what, God, you're being a little unfair with me here. The reality is that was my flaw. God is righteous. He always does the right thing, whether you and I understand it or not, and how God, who is perfectly righteous and who is a sovereign creator over all the world, can take all the evil that people do uh, and turn that somehow into something that's good and right, I don't know, but I do know this, God is righteous and that's exactly what he's doing. Let me ask you, when you think about life and the events of life you don't understand, are you remembering that God is righteous, that he's doing the right thing? But it isn't just that Jesus Christ is righteous and that he loves righteousness. Secondly, please go in your Bible to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. God is righteous. Jesus is righteous. He will reign with a scepter of righteousness. He loves righteousness. He hates iniquity. Notice, secondly, number two, God is looking for his people to live righteous lives. God is looking for his people to live righteous lives. If you pay any attention to what's going on in American Christianity today, one of the things that's going on that is unhealthy is a misunderstanding definition of grace and how grace should apply to us as Christian people. We were saved by grace. We are kept by grace. Anything we have that's good in life uh, is from God's grace. God is gracious. But grace doesn't mean what a lot of people today are saying it means. And you hear me quote this (laughs) verse all the time because it's very applicable in the day and age in which God has placed us. Notice what grace teaches us God is looking for today in Titus chapter two and verse 11. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. By the way, how many people has the grace of God that bringeth salvation appeared to? All men, all right. Uh, Not some special group, all men. All people. Notice in verse 12 what God's grace teaches us. The grace of God that brings salvation to all men. Verse 2, it says that teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. So there's some things we should deny. Notice there's some things we should do. Uh, The grace of God teaches us that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We are supposed to live a sober life. By the way, that means some of you need to throw the alcohol out of your house. I'll just say amen to myself. Amen. Righteously, the doing of right as God defines right. Godly, that means to be like God. And that's the way we're supposed to live now. We should be living a righteous life. The grace of God that saved us teaches us we should be living a righteous life. By the way, I think it's very easy for many of us when we talk about living a righteous life to find a couple of areas of life where we're strong and then define that as living a righteous life and then a couple of areas of life where some others are weak and say, well, they're unrighteous. I want you to understand this morning, living a righteous life is not a narrow thing. It is more than some list of five or seven things. I go to church, I read my Bible, I, I pray, I pass out gospel tracts, I tithe. Listen, wonderful thing, great, those are righteous things. But understand, that is not the extent of what it means to live a righteous life. We won't turn there, but in Proverbs 10, 11, it says the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. That means if you and I are living a righteous life, our mouth should be a well of life. Our mouth should not be filled with gossip. It should not be filled with criticism. It should not be filled with negativity. It should not be filled with everything that brings death and pain to people. We're supposed to bring life by the way we talk to one another. Let me ask you, if you're living a righteous life, then a part of that is your mouth. Is your mouth a well of life? Listen, everybody has a reason that makes sense to them for being a critic and for being someone who's negative and for being someone who tears down everything and everybody. But that's not righteous. And the grace of God that brings salvation to every man teaches us we should live a righteous life. But it's not just that it affects the areas in which we're strong and areas we talk about a lot and it affects our mouth. Uh, Proverbs Thirteen five says a righteous man hateth lying. You know, we kind of live in a world that is sort of okay with situational lying. In other words, I have integrity until it's going to cost me money. I have integrity until, well, if I'm honest, they're going to be mad at me. I have integrity until it's hard to say the truth, hey, listen. Part of being righteous is not just that our mouth is a well of life; it's also that our mouth is filled with truth. Hey, listen. I'm not the only one here that sometimes finds that. Well, you know what? If I'm honest about this, this is going to be difficult. In reality, a part of righteousness is to hate lying and to speak honestly. You know, lack of integrity destroys every relationship. If you have very little integrity, mark it down, you will have very little or any healthy relationships. Integrity, transparency, Honesty, those are essential to a healthy relationship. I'm not implying that you or I ought to ever say everything that goes through our mind because there's some crazy birds that fly in there. But I am saying this. If we don't have any honesty and we don't have any transparency, we will never have healthy relationships and it's part of righteousness. And sadly, far too many American churches have lost sight of the value and importance of righteousness in life, and that's why they're silent about it. Listen, uh, I I read and hear stories of churches, so-called, having meetings in bars. Uh, Reports of churches where their pastor stands up and cracks open a beer behind the pulpit to make a point or serves wine in the foyer or has uh, tailgate parties with alcohol in the parking lot. There's something wrong with that. It is a lack of integrity and honesty. It's a lack of righteousness. And our world is not going to be destroyed because of Washington. It's not going to be destroyed because of Hollywood. Our world, if it is destroyed, if our culture actually falls apart, it will fall apart because the people of God have no righteousness in our life. We are the salt to this world. We are the light to this world. You and I are the hope of this nation, not them. One of my favorite TV shows is a show called Alone. If you're not familiar with it, they take 13 contestants and uh, they put them in a very remote northern location with any 10 items they want four or five weeks before winter. And the only contact they are allowed to have, humanly speaking, is a medical team goes in and checks on them uh, one time a week. Uh, How many people watch that show? Uh, y'all don't know what you're missing. I- I- I'm just telling you, man, this thing is top notch. But, but w- what happens to all these contestants is that what they're able to catch and, and what they're able to find and forage uh, and the m- amount of calories they get from that uh, is always way less than the calories they burn building a shelter uh, finding food, sawing wood, uh, getting water, and, and, and all those things. And so a lot of them, what they do before they go on, they, like, pack on, like, 40 pounds of fat. Doesn't that sound like fun? You mean you say, man, I won't put it on. I got six weeks to put on 40 pounds. It's going off anyway. Um had a great time. Oreo cookies, Mountain Dew. Woo! But but if you ever watch what happens as they get thinner and thinner and thinner and their fat reserves are, are, are gone, you know, one of the things they always talk about is all I can think about is food. They dream about food. They think about food. They think about just being able to eat again. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. they shall be filled. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. He went 40 days without eating in the wilderness. And it's no surprise that when Satan tempted him, he tempted him with food. Uh, If thou be the son of God, uh, make these stones bread. He knew what it was like to be hungry. Let me ask you, do you hunger for righteousness? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness they should be filled. You know, I think for most of us, it's kind of a pastime. God, and he teaches us through his grace to live a righteous life. I'm not here to spell out the details of righteousness. That's impossible. I'm just here to tell you righteousness matters a lot because God is righteous. How important is being righteous to you? What kind of priority do you put on it? Are you living a life that a reasonable person would look at you and say, well, you know what? That's a righteous teenager. That's a righteous college student. That's a righteous young adult. That's a righteous retiree. Which gets us to our last thing, number three. Say, good, I'm pretty fed up with righteousness. Lastly, this morning, no one can live righteously enough to be saved. <laughs> God has to save us by mercy. Notice in Titus 3:5, it says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Listen, we're clearly told we're not saved by works of righteousness, we're saved by mercy. We're supposed to live righteous lives. We're supposed to love righteousness like Christ loves it. We're supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But listen, it's impossible to live righteously enough for God to look down and say, wow, there's somebody, they're so righteous, I'm going to give them eternal life. You know, If you and I were to survey the world, if we passed out a sheet of paper to everybody in America or everybody in any place you'd find mankind and say, what do you need to do to live forever? By and large, those papers would come back with statements that had something to do with a work of righteousness. I'm a good family man. I was a good wife to my husband. I was a good parent to my children. I was a good employee in my workplace. I was an active and good person in my community. I go to church. I was baptized. I was confirmed. I gave money. Those are all just works of righteousness, and no one is saved by works of righteousness. In fact, if you're here this morning and you'd say, "You know what, Brother Wally?" If I'd have filled out that paper, you'd have put something on it other than, "I am trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ." This morning, you can be saved. You will always be lost trusting any work of righteousness. Jesus Christ, the righteous God manifest in flesh, lived a perfect and sinless life. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. And through him, God makes us righteous. This morning, why wouldn't you do that? you can't honestly go back in your life and find a time when you humbled yourself to call upon Christ with a repentant attitude and it left your heart changed, if you can't find that, why not make that today? you'd quietly stand.